0: The title of the message, Free People, Free People, we're in this series on Exodus, and I um, want to walk us through some of the kind of history of this series, since it's been a longer series for us. Uh, today, uh, we are going to wrap up and conclude this series on Exodus. How many of you have been blessed in this series with the, the, some of the stuff? Amen. All right, so I'll take you back for just a minute, part one of Exodus. Uh, we'll put this up on the screens. Uh, if you remember the Hebrew people... Um, Are following false gods of Egypt, and uh, behind those false gods are demonic forces. So you have demons uh, who are using human ignorance. Human ignorance meaning that they are creating gods that are no gods at all. So they have a god of fertility, and a god of rain, and a god of the sun. And this is happening in Egyptian culture, but it's not true at all. And so God comes in, because these Hebrew people are being misled and buying into the lies of culture, and so God shows up, and he allows a new Pharaoh to come in, a leader, and he inflicts pain upon the Hebrew people. They become slaves. They cry Zechaka, and they have a deep cry in their heart. God hears the cry, it says, and then of course we know that the first step of freedom begins when we admit we need to be freed. So they, they begin to this journey towards freedom, Exodus 2 through 4 in part 2, we talked about how God raises up a leader, Moses. Moses shares the same heart with God, um, made a statement that the will of God will never lead you to where the power of God cannot enable you. And being free isn't about doing what you want, it's about being who you were made to be, which is the whole purpose of this series, the heart of this series that I really felt like the Lord put in my heart for you, um is that he wants you to be free to be the person that he made you to be. And that's what the whole series is about. Of course, Moses takes on what God has called him to do, becomes a shepherd to the people, leads them out into the wilderness, into the desert. Part three of Exodus, chapters 13 through 15. If you remember on your journey to freedom, there will be moments where you wonder if you made the right choice. And uh, oftentimes, I know it's true, whenever you follow the Lord, there'll be moments where you're saying, have we made the right choice in following the Lord? And of course, the Israelites get to the edge of the river, and they're wondering, do we make the right choice? They'll do that also in the desert. But true faith depends on what God says, not on what we see or feel. And on our journey to freedom, remember this, you can't carry your Egypt with you. Um, you, you can't carry all of the sinful stuff with you. You have to kind of say, I'm going to set that down and adopt something new. Three responsibilities we have to freedom, follow the Lord, trust the Lord, praise the Lord. Then in part four, Exodus 16, we unpack that, that get up each to gather. We got to get up to gather God's word like the Israelites gathered the manna each morning. Uh, We can't live on yesterday's spiritual nourishment. And freed souls feed on truth. And then in part five, we talked about boundaries last week. In Exodus 19 and 20, we talked about the importance of boundaries. And I have heard most of you remember the one thing I said, don't remember, my singing. I said, you need to forget my singing. Um, some of you, you were here last week. There were people in this room, so. Uh, but uh, anyways, boundaries. Free people freely follow God's boundaries. God's boundaries are for your good, not to keep good from you. Amen. All right. So we talked about that, talked about a lot in this series. Um, if you want to do further study, want to put something else on the screen, three books in the Bible, didn't know if you knew this, so I wanted to let you know just in case you didn't know. You can take a picture of it. It might be in your notes as well. Uh, but three books that help unpack this story of the Israelites' journey through the wilderness is Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. How many of you have ever read Leviticus? And well, for, let's just start. How many of you have ever read Leviticus? Yeah. Okay. A little bit of you. How many were bored when you were reading it? Yeah. I mean, you question, what am I reading? Yeah, I did that. Um, so, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, just to help you understand. Leviticus goes into greater details of the laws, ultimately, and how the the people would be interacting with God. Three words you'll find: substitution, atonement, and holiness. We'll talk a little bit about that today. It answers the question, how can sinful people be in the presence of a holy God? That's what Leviticus ultimately is all about. You have the book of Numbers that covers the events of the wilderness mainly year two through 40, and so it goes in greater details of different stories that transpires during their time in the wilderness while they're waiting to enter the promised land. And then the book of Deuteronomy is really a sermon of Moses. It's one of his uh, messages that he gives to the new generation before they enter the promised land. So he tells a lot of lessons that they've learned to the younger generation that's rising up to enter into the promised land. So if you want to further study the book of Exodus, read those three books It'll help you kind of dive into greater detail of it. So we've studied Exodus for five weeks, and one of the things we've learned of the story of Exodus is this. You can write this in your notes is God wants people to be free. He wants people to be free. That's the whole point of this teaching. But remember, freedom isn't permission to do whatever we want. Freedom isn't permission to do whatever we want. It's permission for God to do whatever he wants. And I want you to understand the heart of that. I could preach that and just pause and sum it up with that. So are you free? Because that's freedom. It's not permission to do, to be, to say, whatever you want. Freedom is giving God permission to do whatever he wants for you. To to be who he wants you to be, not to be who you want you to be, right? Freedom is this, giving God permission to do whatever he wants. Whatever he wants with your time, whatever he wants with your treasure, whatever he wants with your talent. That's freedom. Freedom. But our sinful nature wants our life to be about us, which is the struggle with the Egyptian or the Hebrew people. They want to constantly create their own gods, and yet God is saying, put your attention back on me. I want you to be free. All right. So with all that said, Exodus 32, uh, we'll put this up on the screen. We're going to really camp into Exodus 40 today as we wrap up the series. But Exodus 32, it says this, when the people saw that Moses was so long uh, in coming down from the mountain, remember he goes up to the mountain and gathers the 10 commandments, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I'm going to go through this fairly quickly as well. You have Moses going up to the mountain, talks with God, gets instructions from God, the Ten Commandments. He comes back down the mountain, and the people are following false gods. And yet God has done amazing miracles in this journey so far. Remember the manna, the crossing of the Red Sea, the removal from slavery, all of these wonderful things that God has done, and yet people are still questioning the validity, the faithfulness, the trust of God. All right, trusting in God. So let me take you through some of the chapters coming up. So chapters 19 through 31, I summed it up this way. It's up and down a mountain. If you go read chapters 19 through 31, you're going to see Moses going up and then coming down, then going back up and coming back down. And ultimately, God is telling Moses, essentially, to tell the Hebrew people how they're to relate to God and also enter his presence, which is what today's about how they're going to enter his presence, how they're going to be in relationship with God, with one another, and then how they're to enter into his presence. More specifically dialed in, chapters 25 through 31, this should all be in your notes. He talks to them about the tabernacle and priests, and you'll see different systems that are created in order to engage in relationship and into the presence of God. Tabernacle meaning simply the dwelling place where God would dwell, where God would live, where God would be. And so he tells Moses how to in, do these different instructions and how the priests are supposed to come in and what they're supposed to wear and how they're supposed to dress and all this stuff. And I'll show a picture of the tabernacle kind of from an aerial view if we have the picture. Maybe it's hard for you to see, but look there, that, up there it's a little clear. But uh, you see the Ark of the Covenant. What I want you to focus on today for just a minute, this purple line where the veil is. This is a curtain, and then it's got in front of the curtain, it's got different designs to it and different structures to it, and it wanted to be built. that they, God wanted it at a specific uh, size and specific way, and everything was done to order the way that God designed it. The altar of incense, the menorah. Um, you have a way of this kind of all constructed. I'm not going to dive into the details of it because I don't want you to see that, but I want you to see God had a plan for the Israelites that this is how they were to engage and worship with him. And behind this veil, we'll see this in just a minute, was a place where the Day of Atonement would come where a priest, one time a year, would enter into this veil and he would have atonement, the sacrifice for the sins of all the people. Atonement being... The debt is paid. There's payment for your sins. So there'd be the killing of an animal, sacrifice of animal, and the shedding of blood. And the priest would go back into the presence of God, it's called the holies of holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. was where that's where God's presence is. But only a priest could go back there. Only one was pure and clean. And so this was the proper way of entering into the presence of God. Then chapters thirty-two through thirty-three, after giving all of the instructions to the people. Moses comes down the mountain, and there it was, again, Exodus 32 is where I read to you just a minute ago in verse 1, picking all of that up, and they're worshiping a golden calf. They create a golden calf, and they say, this is going to become our God, and they turn from God, but then God, but Moses makes a statement. Write this in your notes somewhere. Write it down. Uh, Thirty-three, Chapter 33 of Exodus, verse 18. It's a really powerful uh, statement that Moses says. In fact, you've sung a song, I'm sure, multiple times. If you've been in church any length of time, you've heard this statement, show me your glory. Moses says, show me your glory. He, He cries out to God, get involved. Glory is to experience the weight of his presence. I want you to follow me on this. He says, show me your glory. He says, basically, bestow upon me the weight of your presence. Get involved here. Because of course the people are turning from God, and so God Moses goes to God says, "Please forgive the people. Uh, can you come and show me your glory? Show me your goodness. Remember your reverence." And one way it would be remembering your character. Remember who you are. Show us your glory. Show us your goodness. And uh, and so he calls upon this to occur. God, in His grace, forgives. He reveals partially some of His glory. He passes by kind of quickly. He gives Moses a glimpse of his presence. Then chapter 34, he calls Moses back up to a mountain, gets new tablets, of the Ten Commandments. God renews the covenant, essentially. He forgives them, establishes a new covenant. And then chapter 35 to 39, the work on the tabernacle begins. They begin to go to work to build this whole tabernacle, this place of worship where they can enter into the presence of God, be forgiven of their sins. And that brings us to chapter 39, verse 42. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. I want you to pay attention to the fact that they build this tabernacle to the perfect specification that God requires, because holiness requires perfection. It's perfect, right? So they do it just as God instructs. Then verse 33 of chapter 40 says this, "...then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar, and put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard." And so Moses finished the work. Now, this is going to be a huge anchor in today. All right? I know I'm going through this fast, but it'll all make sense at the end, I hope. All right. So Moses finished the work. That's really, really important today. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. I want you to see that. All right? Then the cloud covered. Now, if, you're, if you were really doing a Bible study, like if we really wanted to do this deep Bible study, I'd have your pen out, and I'd ask you to circle the word then. If you want to mark in your Bible or highlight that, highlight that. Because then, after Moses finished the work, then the cloud covered the tent meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it. That's the Hebrew word, abode, to dwell, or to be at home. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So Moses finished the works. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But I want you to write this down. Obedience doesn't earn his presence, it welcomes his presence. It's a really interesting thought when you think about this. You say, why would God ask these people to build this system of, in such a way, such such specification and ask them to do this? I think simply because it makes actually complete sense that their obedience wasn't earning his presence, but it was welcoming his presence. I'll help, help you unpack that. When, if you're a parent, you're a child, either way, uh, husband, wife, spouse, you know, any relationship uh, like that, this makes sense. Because whenever there is disobedience, let's use a different word, because in case you're married, you don't tell your wife you disobeyed me, I hope, um, but, or tell your husband, you disobey. Well, actually, women do have a right to say they disobeyed, but I'm just joking. Okay, so but there's discord in a relationship between a parent and a child, if you see it that way, it 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 kind of divides the relationship. The relationship is at a speed bump. It doesn't operate healthy until there's reconciliation. When there's disobedience, the relationship kind of comes to a standstill. When there's discord between a husband and a wife, it's, it, there's, it's at a standstill until you kind of get through that, and then you can kind of go on about your day. So th- obedience to God works the same way. It doesn't earn his presence, but it welcomes his presence because there's nothing that's in the way in the relationship. And so he asks them to simply obey so that there wouldn't be this thing between them that they had to address and deal with and then God could come into the presence of God. So, obedience welcomes his presence. It doesn't earn his presence, but it certainly welcomes it. You say, do I have to obey God in order to get his presence? No, because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Your obedience has nothing to do with him being present. He's always present. He'll never leave you, and he never forsakes you. So, then what does obedience do? It welcomes his presence. Amen? All right. Exodus forty thirty six continues on. It says, in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. Remember, the cloud was symbolic of his presence. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night. And in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels, God simply leads them. Now I want you to notice that it says they did not set out until the day it lifted. If it lifts, we go. If it doesn't, we stay. All right, little kind of side note here. Update on land, where we are. So unpack that for a second. For Some of you you have no clue what I'm talking about. But for a couple of months, we've been under contract on 10 acres of land uh, over in uh, Odessa, just a few minutes down the road. And uh, somebody even asked me this week, well, did you know all this was going to happen? Did you like schedule this chapter 40, you know, when you're in contract? I'm like, no, I didn't see all this coming, but God is aligning and he's speaking something to you and he's speaking something to me. So I want you to lean in on this because I think God has a word for you and he has a word for me on this. That's all of us as a part of the Brave Church family. So we've been under contract negotiations about this land and, uh, and I've, been telling you we were taking it day by day, you know, step by step. And I was really wanting to come with an answer today. I'm going to tell you now, I don't have an answer today, um, but I was really hoping to have an answer. But here's what I am going to tell you. We decided to present an offer lower than, we don't have an answer, right? Okay. And, uh but, but we decided to present an offer that was, that was lower that, you know, but it was what we felt was the best play we could make with uh, being able to maintain our ministry. So let me explain that to you. When the elders and I prayed and staff has prayed, I feel like the Lord gave us, that's me, and I'm telling it to you. It's kind of like Moses going to the mountaintop, getting a word from God, and then delivering it out to the people. This is the same kind of a thing. So I go to the mountaintop, I pray, talk with the elders, we pray. And there was a consistent idea or language that we all used and here it is and I want you to know this and this must be forever embedded into the hearts of our people in our church it's people before property and so what that means is we really felt like the Lord was saying it's people before property don't forget that that doesn't mean that he'll never give us property that just means don't you forget that if you get this property or any property whatever property I give you it's always people before property And so we decided that we would uh, make an offer in a way that wouldn't strangle our budget financially. In other words, live house broke like a lot of people do, amen? You shouldn't amen that because that means you agree, amen, house broke. Um, But um, you understand what I mean by that, where all the finances go into the house and then it stifles everything else you do. So we don't want to be house broke in a sense. We want to be able to not have to stifle the ministry to the people, and that is all the things that we do inside of uh, our community, our giving, our help, our support. We want to continue to be the church that God has called us to be without being strangled financially. So we made an offer, a lower offer. We were hoping to hear back. Um, we didn't hear back. It, it is still out there, so it's certainly still possible, um, being honest, um, talking to uh, our realtor. And, but it's weird to say realtor because he's really a member of our church, but... Um, and we're friends and we're chatting on the phone the other day. And he's like, Ricky, I don't know. I think this is going to be a pretty quick answer. I'm just calling you out because that's what you told me. <laughs> and uh, I I feel like the Lord gave me the number. I'll, I'll tell you the number. I felt like the Lord said, we're under contract at 940,000. And uh, the number we went in at is 700. And I woke up one day and I said, I feel like the Lord said 700. That doesn't mean that he's going to do it, but I feel like that's the number. When Paul basically laughed at me and he's like, this is going to be a No. He calls him back and he goes, well, actually went a little better than I thought. And (laughs) and so he's like, you know, they're going to enter, you know, he's going to talk about it. So that's where we are with it. I have no update. Here's the update. People before property, we will only go if God says go. If he does not, we stay. So how are we going to know if he says go? The asking price was 1.1%. We just believe if we get it at $400,000 less, God is saying go. (laughs) Amen. If he says no, we stay. But here's what I want you to see. All right, let's go look at the text because that's really important. That's the update on the land. That's, That's all I have to share on it, all right? Okay, so that's where we are with the land. All right, let's keep moving. But I want you to see this Because there's something that God wants to impart to our hearts in the seventh year anniversary. John 1.14. I'm still in the story of Exodus. I haven't left. I just want to show you something. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. So what did Moses cry out? Show me your glory. John 1 says that Jesus showed up and he... He was the glory of God. Look at this. We beheld his glory when? When Jesus was here. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The glory as the only one, only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Write this down. The glory of God is revealed in Jesus. I'm going to take you back for just a minute, just a second. Hey, here's a little side note. What did we do with the glory of God? We put him on a cross. That's what the world did. They put the glory of God on a cross. All right. But what happened when he went to the cross is really important. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. At that moment, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, it is finished, he cries out. Remember? It says, the curtain, remember the curtain I showed you a minute ago, of the temple was torn. In two, from top to bottom, the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. I'm going to tell you something. If you die and people start coming to life, you're important. Until then, you're not that important, okay? That's what Christians believe, by the way. Any man who dies and resurrects dead people because they die, you should probably pay attention to whatever that guy has to say. Something to think about. All right, so here's the history of the Jewish temples. I want you to see this. We see the tabernacle. Everybody say amen. The tab- tabernacles, what they're setting up and tear down. We're going to call it set up, tear down church. Anybody know anything about set up, tear down church? They did, and they were in a desert. Remember that next time you're complaining about being in an AC gymnasium. Okay, it could be worse, Jeremy. It could be worse. <laughs> Jeremy leads our... Can we just celebrate our setup and tear-down team? And, um, man. Could be worse. Could be worse. Anyways. Um, so, put the history of the... So, the tabernacle set up tear-down. So, we're good company. But eventually, Solomon builds the first temple, 950 BC. That gets destroyed by the Babylonians because of their disobedience. Their disobedience no longer welcomes his presence... And so it's destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. Then they rebuild it. It's Bull the second temple. It gets rebuilt 516 B.C. This is the same temple that Jesus actually walks through. And whenever Jesus dies in A.D. 33 or around A.D. 33, we believe, is the veil is torn in that temple. Eventually, of course, it's destroyed by the Roman Empire in 70 A.D. But I want you to see this, that when Jesus died, It tore the veil. And what was behind that veil, I told you a second ago, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God was, and now that curtain gets split in two. In other words, all have access and availability to enter into the presence of God. Now, but God is omnipresent. So, listen, but God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. That's true. But when you enter his presence, the weight of his presence, things change in our lives. We become aware of what's happening. You hear about what's happening in Kentucky currently. Talk to a friend of mine who goes to school at Asbury, the revival that's happening. It's a weightiness of his presence. Things change when you get into the presence of a holy God. God. And God wants to be with his people where he is welcomed. Amen. And so this veil gets torn. And when Jesus died, the fulfillment of the sacrificial requirements are paid in full. I have good news about uh, this whole land and building thing we've been underneath. And, and this, you know, do we get a land, eventually get a building? But I want you to remember something, then Lord wants you to remember this. Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And here's the best news I've come to tell you today. He does not live in temples built by human hands. When you go looking for churches, don't go looking for buildings. If I could pastor you as you move or relocate, Don't look for buildings that meet your needs. Buildings do not bring the glory of God. People do. And I want us to understand this because whether or not we get land or building whenever and however God decides, This is the message I believe God wants to communicate to us. And I'm in the same seat with you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now, I want you to wrap your head around this. The Israelites crowd, show me your glory. God's presence, the presence of God that communicated to Moses on Mount Sinai. The presence of God that spread waters, the presence of God that lives in, resides in the Ark of the Covenant, now lives in his followers. That's pretty powerful when you wrap your head around that. It says, now the spirit lives in you. The same spirit that was in Christ lives in us. It says, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought, atoned for, right? At a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You don't belong to you. You belong to God, Write this in your notes. The glory of God goes wherever his followers go. Buildings are not where God dwells. He dwells in his followers. Buildings are simply a tool for his work and workers and nothing more. And as long as God is in us, he won't leave our building. A building... Write this down, filled with his glory is a building full of people who cry out, show me your glory. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was trying to communicate something to our church body, land, building. What he wants us to remember is simple. Whether I give you land or I give you a building, don't you ever forget that what carries my glory is you. And if I'm not welcome in you, I will not feel welcomed in a building. The house of God is the people, not a building. And that's really important because it's easy to idolize buildings. You get land or building, you think you made it, but you didn't. It's just a tool. It's just a tool. It's a good tool. And yes, We want that tool one day. (laughs) But I just don't want you to forget who carries the glory, and it's you. In fact, it's a responsibility of God's people to carry his glory. I told you we're gonna go back to what Moses did. Exodus chapter 40, verse 33. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar. Notice he set up. So anytime the setup team is discouraged, just go back and read Exodus 40, Moses is right there with you, bro. He set up and tore down a lot for 40 years. <laughs> All right. Man, I'm not going to lie. I-, I hope that I'm not like Moses. I just, right now, in the name of Jesus, Moses, you can have that title, longest setup teardown team. <laughs> of my 16, 17 years, seven, that was 2006, what is that? 17 years about? 17 years of full-time ministry I've been in, uh, 14 is set up Teardown. And two churches, this one at Bridgeway. So three years after they got the building and stuff, God called me to do it all over again. Amen. I'm on my way. All right. Moses set the courtyard around the tabernacle, the altar, and put up the curtain in the entrance of the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory filled the tabernacle. Now, that didn't mean a lot to me when I first read it until I read John 17 verse 4. And then everything changed for this sermon today. John 17, I have glorified you on earth. How? I finished the work. Moses finished the work. Then the glory came. John 17, I finished the work that you gave me to do. And by finishing the work you gave me to do, I glorified you. How do we glorify the Lord? Free people finish God's work. Came to encourage you today to finish the work that God began in you. Many times on the journey to freedom, you're going to feel like giving up. Finish the work that God Gave you. Finish the work. That God. Gives you. In short. Free people. Free people. Because ultimately the work that God calls you to do. Is to free people. It doesn't matter what the work is in of itself. Because the purpose of the work. Will always be to free people. Because that's God's heart. Is that all people would be free. That is Free to be who he made them to be. Amen? Invite the band up. They're going to come up. We're going to sing a song and we'll be dismissed. Um, I want to share and just remind you of our why and our mission and then we'll wrap up this whole series with this. They're going to move some stuff off the stage and get ready, but I want you to try to lean in on this. Um, Two thoughts as we close out our seventh year. And number one is our why. And we say it this way, people, Jesus is our model. So people are our passion. We're all about people. And yes, everybody gets a t-shirt today. It's not just us. You should get a t-shirt on the way back. They're $85 and I'm just, trying to, I'm just joking. They're free. Take a shirt. Um, but don't donate it to Goodwill just yet. Try to wear it for a little while first. If you can, that'd be great. Um, but our why is people. We need to remember that we're all about people. And our mission is to lead people into a transformational relationship with Jesus. And it's just important to kind of go back for a second. And here's why I want to share that and leave it on the screen. I'll show you a story. And we're going to sing a song. Then we'll go home. Um, seven years ago, give you some context to why that number is so important to me. When I was in youth ministry at Bridgeway, Uh, the the original name was Elevate and then we were moving into the building and it was kind of an opportunity to change the name of the youth ministry and felt like the Lord told me to name it 7 and so I was at this conference and I heard this thing 7 and felt like the Lord said 7 so I changed the name of it to 7 and today it's called B7 but um, changed it to the number 7 so then and I was on full time in 2000 and In 2015, exactly seven years later, is when God called me to plant this church. We launched in 2016. Now we're completing our seventh year. So in 2015, when I was out looking to find where God wanted to plant us, it was in the middle of the summer of 2015, in the midst of my seventh year closing out and I'm driving around felt like the Lord was leading us in this general area to make a long story short so one day during the summer the Lord told me to go to a school but I didn't know where exactly get in your car and go and Joel Eason the pastor of Bridgeway said you're going to go into a school you're going to talk to somebody and you're going to know so I see this school called Seven Springs Middle School and I thought only God, I walk in the middle of the summer with some sandals and a t-shirt and not ready at all to pitch anything to a school about planting a church. And she says, oh, there's a principal. He's, already, he's actually here right now, middle of the summer, uh, middle of the day. He's here. You want to talk to him? And I really quickly said, uh, sure. And he pulls me back. I tell him what God was doing. And he says, I would love for you to meet in our school. And I'll let you store everything you want on our property. I was like, wow. So I called my wife real quickly and I said, this just got real. We just got a place to meet. I go to the parking lot. This is what I want to confess something to you today. And why we're all about people. And why we're going to sing a song in just a minute called Nothing Else. In my youthfulness, as a church planner... I was on that property of Seven Springs Middle School and I said, Lord, I want land in seven years. I want building in seven years. But in my heart, I thought that was the goal. I thought that's what I had bought into this idea that's what that's when I know I've made it. We have we have building, we have a land. Made it. I look back on that young guy then, that's not true at all. And it's taken me seven years to learn the truth of that. And it's not about the building at all, it's about people. And so when we wear shirts that say we're all about people, I mean it. It's not just a tagline for Ricky. Every time I see that statement, it reminds me. And I want you to share a piece of the story so you understand it. It's so easy to think it's just a marketing slogan and it's not for us. For me, it takes me back to that parking lot by myself where I begged God for a building in seven years. And every time I see it on the back of a shirt or I see that line, it's like, Lord, it's never going to be about a building. It will always be about people. Put a building, small, large, set up, tear down, people. I'm called to build people, not property. I want to give you some context to that. I do find it interesting that at the beginning of January 2022, we did a series called Take the Land, the opening vision series, having no idea that in November of 2022, we go in a contract on land. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's not uh, as far as this particular land. We'll see. But either way, we will always be a church about people. Jesus is our model. People are our passion, not buildings. Amen? There's a song. I invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing this song. And it's called Nothing Else. And uh, I was listening to the song throughout the week. And I was like, what song can we do that could summarize uh, seven years? And Andrews had sung this song multiple times over the course of these seven years. And I was in my closet praying this week. And, well, the song speaks for itself. It really does. But I'm going to ask you to join with me. And... Worship and singing, and would you go with me and ask God to show us His glory, the weight of His presence fall upon our church? And this line in the song is Nothing else matters. I just want you. I was listening to it this morning again and just thought, man, in the seven years of this journey, baptism numbers, attendance numbers, all these things I'm telling you nothing else like none of it matters without Jesus and a moment ago we were doing worship I was sitting there in the front row and I was just like God I'm so blown away by your faithfulness how could you use like broken people like me and so many others are just broken people to do this it's just marvels at his goodness and his faithfulness and all it did was make me think about how good he is nothing else matters except for Jesus Christ the one who gave his life for the sins of the world I have nothing more to say let's pray Jesus I'm out of words I pray that you take center stage always here and I repent in the name of Jesus I have just fully come before you repenting that is change my thoughts thank you God for showing me And I pray that you would show your church, God, that the church is not about building, it's about people. And we marvel at the idea that we carry your glory, that your presence lives in us, and we're privileged as broken people but through the sacrifice through the cross through your resurrection we get to share your glory with the world around us we marvel at that story that's why we've come Jesus it really is about you and you alone and you are well worth our time nothing else really does matter other than you. And I pray that you keep it in our hearts. Jesus, just takes center stage of our hearts. Amen.